two, one, go. My name's Andrea. My name's Amani, and you're listening to Raise Your Words. Welcome to our podcast. It's very excited to have you. excited to be here. Amani has been talking to me about this for a while, actually. Like, actually, I think before you guys officially launched the podcast, so... Um, Long before. <laughs> yeah, so I've, this has, you know, I've been ego- eagerly anticipating this. Um, so thanks for having me, you guys. Oh, thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah. We really appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. It's, it's so cool. Alright. Um, let's start off uh, again. Uh, oh, alright. I'm sorry. I should be learning well to read off a script. Okay, well, since of that lovely introduction, um, a question I'd like to ask you is, like, what would you recommend applying for a Fulbright scholarship? And what was your experience like for you? Yeah, so um, I was a Fulbright scholar to the United Kingdom. Um, and there's just a couple of kinds of Fulbright scholarships. Some Fulbright scholarships are for teaching English abroad. Um, and you can do those really anywhere in, like, the global south or the east. Um And I did a different kind of Fulbright scholarship, which was a study research scholarship. So uh, people who do study research scholarships either get funding from Fulbright to do a master's degree or a graduate degree, which is what I did, um, or they get paid to do a research project of their own design. Um, So for me, like, it was an incredible opportunity. I highly recommend everyone apply for Fulbright scholarships, uh, no matter the kind you apply for, because like, there's something really special about um, getting to learn and grow abroad. Um, whatever country you end up in and also it's really nice to be able to do that when you're not footing the bill so um, I was supposed to spend a year in the UK it ended up being closer to like seven months because of COVID Um, but I spent I I was supposed to spend a year in the UK fully funded Um, they paid for a master's degree for me which was great and I like I got to travel a ton I got to meet tons of like interesting new people being in the UK I had access to like all of Europe which was incredible um and it was just a really, it was a really great learning experience for me. I, I... No, I think it's it's wonderful. And speaking that like you saying that everybody should apply. Oh, sorry. There's a, my cutout. I have bad Wi-Fi. I apologize. Go on. You're good. Um, one other thing before we jump into the next question. Uh, Aisha, can you also introduce yourself for the listeners who might not know who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Aisha. I went to high school with Amani, so I'm OG. Um, I, um, (laughs) after high school, I went to Johns Hopkins, uh, I graduated in 2018, um, and then I went to work at the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union in DC, um, as a paralegal, and I helped out on religious freedom cases there. Um, after that, I, uh, won a Fulbright scholarship, so I spent what was supposed to be a year, but ended up being six months in the United Kingdom doing a master's degree in migration studies. Um, migration studies as in the migration of people. I've had friends make the joke like, oh, you mean migration of birds? No, migration of people. Um, and um, while I was there, I applied to law school, but um, and, I, and I was accepted to Yale Law School, which I'm really excited about. But I decided to defer because of you know the pandemic. It was really important to me to like go to law school in person. So um, I deferred and right now I'm having um, a gap year, a very unorthodox gap year. Um, And I am currently a fellow at an organization called Reprieve, which is 
based in the UK, but also has a headquarters in the US that works on like Guantanamo, um, drone strikes, death penalty type issues. Uh, what was uh, what was that process like applying for law school and everything, especially during the pandemic? Applying to law school during the pandemic wasn't a problem because I applied to law school in February, like the beginning of February, which is kind of late to be applying up to law school, but that's a different story. Um, and at that point in time, the pandemic wasn't really a thing. We were just starting to hear like, oh, there's this virus in China. Um, but in the UK, uh, people were not concerned about it yet. Um, and I wasn't concerned about it at that point. Um, but a month later, <laughs> I ended up coming back home. So things escalated really quickly. Um, but I actually don't think that being in the UK changed my application process very much. It was really just that when I took the LSAT, there's only two places in the entire UK that you can take the LSAT. Um, whereas if you take the LSAT in the US, and to be clear, the LSAT is the law school admissions test. Um, but if you take the LSAT in the US, you can take it like anywhere. Like, you know, I'm sure like in this area of Pennsylvania, there were like five different testing centers within 20 miles. Um, but in the UK, I had like two choices. I either had to travel to Scotland or I had to go to London. Um, and so that kind of, it was a little bit inconvenient having to get a hotel to take a test the next day. Um, but really, I think that was the only complication. Wow, that sounds like a huge process right there. Um, I mean, there are lovely places to be in. I remember, I haven't heard, never been to Scotland, but I know England is a pretty nice place. Um, and speaking with LSATs, a very, I would say, very long and hard process. Because like when I hear LSATs, I just think about like, um, like Lee Wand. I just think <laughs> about like L. Yeah. Know? So who knows? After the whole process, you might wear all pink. We don't know purple if you want that's you the know, goal color. that's, the, that's goal. the goal yeah i just think of suits <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh yeah. suits i i love a good i love a good episode of suits it's been a minute since i watched it uh, actually that's a i think oh, sorry go on when you first started i remember asking you i was like are you more of a mike or a rachel and you were like i would say rachel. did i say that i think i'm more of a mike actually yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll see that's how so everything cool. i out. saw you ask but it's really interesting. I'd love to see how things unfold. I think for you. honestly, yeah. what I want to be oh, is boy. a Jessica. You know, a strong, capable woman of color, crushing the men in her path. Like that's that's where I want to be. Yes, please. That's please. Can you please? That would be phenomenal. Plus, I think also as each generation grows, you know, there'll be a little girl that one day will, will look up to you and go like, I want to be that. I see myself. Because I think, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I think with each generation, we try to pave our way. Um, like the previous ones, like our parents and our mothers, you know, they went through a lot of stuff. So then we can have the privilege. And then also like besides passing on the torch, we just create more opportunities for women, especially women of color in the field especially um and, and i think also better examples you know rather than like oh i can only be this and this because i just see it on tv but it's like oh i see these people in real life you know there's hope for me there's that there's that little light there that's that's small inspiration that's like okay i can i can be that one day i can believe in myself if i work hard enough that i can be that because i see someone who looks like me and i think people kind of forget about that but i think that's like the whole white privilege and stuff is you know, we take that for granted, but in reality, you know, a lot of people don't got that. Um, although I have another question to ask you, it did, I did think about one uh, that maybe you might like to answer um, that's not on the script. 
was how do you feel about the representation of like lawyers like since you, you you're in the Alstads and you're in that field now how does it feel like when you watch tv shows that portray like lawyers and etc like do you get like kind do you like cringe a little bit do you laugh at it do you go like ah that doesn't really happen or you're like this doesn't happen where's the logical sense in this so I, yeah I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a really good question um well, I'll caveat this by saying I'm not a lawyer. Like I worked as a paralegal and now I'm a fellow. Haven't gone to law school yet, but I do have a fair bit of experience in legal settings. And what I'll say is that it is so much more boring than it is on TV and in movies. Um, so much of the law, and this is, I think, there are, there's a lot of like dissatisfied lawyers. And I think um, part of the reason for that is that people don't realize that like, 90% of legal work is truly sitting in an office in silence writing like a 70 page document um, or you know however long the brief you're writing happens to be and um, for me as a paralegal like even less glamorous I would spend like hours site checking documents um, site checking is basically it's it's what it sounds like it's checking the citations um, in our in our legal briefs so it's basically fact checking yeah like I would do some fact checking I would cross reference other legal documents Site checking like is a skill for paralegals. It's, you know, it's so weird because you wouldn't put like, oh, I really know MLA seven or like APA or whatever, Chicago citation style on your resume. But mm. blue booking, like blue book is legal citation. It's a skill because it's so complicated, like for no reason at all. It's just a misery to do. And so lawyers don't want to waste their time figuring it out. Um, and they'll ah, hand it off to the paralegal. Although I was really lucky at the ACLU, my my bosses were you know meticulous about their work and absolutely wonderful people. So um, I, I think that's the main thing. The legal world is not very glamorous, and even when you're working on really interesting, glamorous cases, like the the work itself is like long and often kind of dull and tiring, um, and really time consuming. Um, so I'd say I'd say like that's the the big flaw in TV show or movie representation. Exactly, that's what I figured because I, it's scary to think about how people really learn about the world through films and, and TV shows and, and books. Because I think it's one thing where you're like, oh, this isn't real, but for some people, they're like, this is real estate, this is real, this is yeah. fact, and, and that's just a scary thought for me. I don't know. I I mean, to be fair, it's like. I could differentiate it, but for some people, it's like kind of like the crown where people are like, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is 100% accurate. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is like, this is facts. And then, <laughs> you know, people who like wrote biographies or et cetera, who are friends with the royal family, it's like, nah, that's, that's not what really happened. You know, this guy, this, this is all fake. This is a drama. You know, this isn't a thing. But, you know, you'd be surprised what people will do. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, <laughs> In defense of, like, the media, I wouldn't want to watch a three-hour movie of someone sitting at a desk and writing a brief, so, like, I get it. <laughs> Imagine it once, like, once, like... Gotta a- add a little bit of spice to it. <laughs> of course, then we won't get the beautiful, uh, I think, shows from it. Yeah, of course, because, like, and I mean, that's also, like, another thing, too, is you gotta make it entertaining, and of course you're gonna, like, mess with a couple things, so then, yeah, because, like, the normal person will just get really bored by it, like you said. Uh, yeah, like you want to watch something that's entertaining, but also kind of educational. Like remember when I watched uh, The Queen's Gambit, like I knew nothing about chess, but like after the first season, I was like, this is pretty cool. All right. Such a good show. Yeah. After the first season, I was like, I need to play chess. <laughs> I'm not even good at it. 
Um, but yeah, going off from that, I guess, was law school something that you always had in mind or was that something that you thought about more recently over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if Amani remembers this, but when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, which was, yeah, it was like a really common uh, career goal for people coming from our school. But then also, um, my dad is a doctor. A very popular brand. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, it's like an immigrant child thing. Um, but mm-hmm. also, my dad is a doctor, and I really, like, I really admire my father. And I've never seen anyone who loves their job more than my dad. And so for a long time, I was like, yeah, that's it for me. Um, I went to Johns Hopkins, which is like very much known for medicine. Um, and I was pre-med for, um, I, I graduated college in three years. So I was pre-med for half of my college career, which was a year and a half. Um, but the whole time I was pre-med, I was majoring in poli-sci and I kind of knew the whole time that I had these two competing interests. Like I, I definitely wasn't considering medicine, you know, because my parents told me to, I had my own interest in it. I had done like medical research, um, and I'd shadowed, you know, all that, all the good stuff. Um, but at the same time, I knew that my personal skill set was very much in like reading and writing and arguing and advocacy. And that's also like where my passions kind of were. And so like my sophomore year of college, um, I like hit a breaking point. I was so tired of doing both. Like it's very it's a lot to be like pre-med and sort of pre-law, but not really pre-law at the same time. And I knew that I had to make a decision um, and I sort of. I I don't know that I ever actively decided to drop pre-med. It was more like, I'm just going to focus on the poli-sci interning at legal orgs thing for now. And like, that's how I rationalize it to myself. I was like, maybe if I was like, if I change my mind, I can always come back to pre-med. And I never looked back. (laughs) Um, uh, When I was in college, I interned at a couple of legal orgs. I interned at the ACLU of Maryland. Um, And I think that when I graduated, that translated really well into, you know, helping me get a job at the ACLU's national headquarters in D.C. Um, And at that point, and definitely by the time I finished working at the ACLU, I knew that I wanted to go to law school. It wasn't a question like med school is just not for me. Um, It didn't play to my strengths and it wasn't what I was passionate about. So um, I I would say it was like a more, I don't know, it depends on what you consider a recent turn of events. Um, for me, it's pretty recent because this was probably like 2017, 2016 that I was like, I was committing to law school. Um, and then, you know, over the last few years, I felt really validated in that choice. Like the more exposure I get to the law um, and, you know, legal academia um, and lawyers for that matter, I the more the more passionate I get about the field. So I, I know that I've made the right choice, but it did take me a while to get there. Of course, I think just trying to figure out what you want to do and like passions and so on. It takes time. It doesn't just, you know, like it's not like the films or anything where it's like this magical spark and you're like, I know what I want to do. And, you know, speaking to you, it's like I I really I really feel that confidence and and the way you said it. It's like, oh, yeah, this girl knows what she's doing. (laughs) I'm glad that I'm coming across that way. (laughs) That's good. If I creeped you out with that compliment, I deeply apologize. No, I know. Definitely not. I feel feel really gassed up. Thank you for that. Uh, I think to trickle it back to the previous uh, conversations earlier with the Fulbright scholarships and your experience and the long, hard process, uh, what was the Fulbright process like applying to Fulbright scholarships writing thing and you know some people were like 
oh, I'm scared to even, like, look on the website. Like, what, mm-hmm. what do I do? You know, just, like, caveman, SpongeBob. Like, what am I doing? I don't know. So what what would you say, like, what was the process like and, like, the fears of it? And, you know, how, how did it go? Do you have any advice for people yeah. applying, essentially? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, like, my general advice when it comes to, like, scholarships, like, Fulbright, but then also everything else in life is you really should shoot your shot even when you think you have no chance. Um, Fulbright, especially for the UK, is like statistically very competitive. It's really, really, really hard um, to win one of these scholarships. And there was a point in time where I was like, you know, applying, I was writing the essays, I was talking to the advisors and I was just like, I don't have time for this. Why am I spending so much time, you know, writing essays for a scholarship I'm not even gonna win? Um, And, you know, like I, I'm thankful that I didn't let kind of that defeatist attitude get the better of me and I applied anyway and I was really fortunate to have won a scholarship. But I think like baseline advice is even if you think you can't do it, it's always, always worth your time to try. Um, more specifically, when it comes to Fulbright, I'd say you should be really strategic about where you apply. Um, on the Fulbright, Fulbright website, there's statistics for each country and each type of scholarship that show you just how competitive each grant is. So as a baseline, you should make sure you know, you know, are you are you applying for something where like 200 people are buying for one spot or are you applying for something where your chances are more like one in 15? Um, so consider that. Um, when it comes to essays, uh, Fulbright is like, it has, there. you submit two essays. One is a personal statement and the second is a statement of purpose. Um, personal statement is kind of tricky because it's only one page and there's not a lot you can fit in there. But um, I, I'd say my general advice is come up with a good way to make your your academic goals personal because ultimately you want to provide an explanation that's personally rooted that tells the Fulbright Commission, um, the people who read your apps, like why you want to study what you're studying. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, I like biology, so I want to study biology here. It's it's more about giving them a personal reason for it. Like, what is your background like? What, you know, what drives your passions? So for me, my personal statement um, was a lot about how um, my, I come from a family of, you know, bridge builders, like literally my, my grandfathers are engineers. And then um, my parents are immigrants. And I kind of explore what bridge building means to me and, um, it, it provides kind of a strong basis for understanding why I'm applying to a degree in migration studies. Um, and then my statement of purpose, um, which is the second essay you write, is a lot more direct. It talks about my research interests, um, what I want to study, why the, the institution that I'm applying to study it at is the perfect fit for me, why I need to be studying it in that specific country. Because remember, for Fulbright, you can apply you know, to dozens and dozens of countries. So you really have to make the case for like, why this place, why this institution, why this city, and why now? Um, I, I think like that sort of covers it, but it's it's harder than you would think to be able to, to provide really specific answers to those questions. So it requires a lot of thought and a lot of you know self-reflection. Right, I think to like add on to your thing is like, um, like with any application, right, too, is how can I differentiate myself from everybody else? Not in like very, conceited or evil way or just rather like what makes me me definitely yeah what story can i tell from what what can help me out i guess essentially so and i think that's really cool um and and i think to actually go on to that um 
I think actually, I think you did touch on that, but if so, like, do you have, like, any advice for any, like, law school applicants, right? Because, again, like, you, you, you talked about that, the overcoming it, and the, the, again, the process of it, so any, or, or if so, like, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self through that experience, what would you say for yourself? Oh, good question. Okay, so I'd say, like, my advice for law school applicants is a little bit different. Um, And I think a lot of it is focused on the LSAT because the LSAT is like this horrifically mentally taxing test to study for. And for a lot of people, like a lot of my friends, even for myself, like it was a huge barrier in the application process. Like it's so discouraging to study for this test where it sometimes feels like it's all in English, but it feels like you're reading a different language. Um, And so I think my like preliminary advice for anyone applying to law school is don't give up on the LSAT. I I really think that with it's a matter of time until you become good at the LSAT. A lot of people study for like a month, they study for two months and they give up. Um, And the LSAT is not the kind of test where you can acquire the skills you need to do well. It's not a content-based test. It's all about like your skills. Like how good are you at critical reading? How good are are you at analyzing arguments? Um, how good is your analytical reasoning? And and it's not like you can memorize some answers and be on your way. You have to practice. Um, so so preliminary advice is like practice, <laughs> practice as much as you can, and practice for as long as you can. And if you need to study for a year, study for a year. Um, but it's really 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 important because like law school admissions are much more numerically based than you would think. So your LSAT and your GPA end up being really really important in the process. Um, And bringing your LSAT up even a few points can really um, open up the options you have for law school and uh, also provide you with better scholarship options for law school. So basic advice, really like respect the LSAT, do your best on the LSAT, don't don't quit. Um, And don't tell yourself that you've reached your limit if you have more time and energy that can be dedicated to the test. Um, Aside from that, I mean, you know, do do the things. Well, I guess second basic piece of advice is make sure that your GPA is high as it, is as high as it can be, um, which is like you know kind of duh advice. But um, your your GPA will matter a lot, so you know don't tank it. Um, and then aside from that, like be really genuine about your interests. If you're someone who's um, I don't know really into health policy and you've never actually had legal experience, but you've worked in like you know a health department or with a health commissioner or something like that you know own it um explain why it is you want to go to law school in your essays but don't feel like you need to fit a particular mold i I think one of the great best things about law school is that um a lot of people apply to law school for different reasons and with different career paths in mind and they're all really valid so um you know there's there's a tons of there's tons of directions in which you can go and you know like law school admissions people know that so as long as it's clear that you have a passion you have a direction in mind um and hopefully you have you know the LSAT and GPA you need to succeed um you know like the law school cycle should be a snap (laughs) it's not that easy in in real in reality but uh in theory like those are the ingredients and I think that's really good or I think also just be nice to yourself don't put that much pressure on you just you know definitely it it, it it may feel like the world is caving in but just remember like all right just one step at a time and if previous people could survive this I can survive this and yeah I mean like I, I think a lot of people get really caught up on 
the school they're going to, but I know people who have been incredibly successful, incredibly inspirational from such a wide range of law schools. Like ultimately, it doesn't matter where you go. Just like for college, I think in high school, a lot of people like really worry about like getting into like the best school they can get into. But in the end, it really doesn't matter um, where you go. It matters what you do. So exactly. It's all that experience and also like networking as well, because I, I also met a share of people who um, were like, OK, once I get my degree, now I get my job. And I'm like, OK, well, you need to have you met people within <laughs> your field. Have you communicated? Have you at least worked some experience? Each field is different as yeah. well. I think there's that to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this next one is actually a little more lighthearted, but I guess, how are you adjusting to quarantine life? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm adjusting okay, I think. Um, I, I think I thought it would be a lot harder than it has been because I haven't lived at home in five or six years now. And when I came back from the UK, I thought that I would only be back for like a month. So I left in March. I was like, I booked a return ticket. I booked my return ticket for May. I was like, I'm definitely going to be back. Um, And it's been really weird watching like all these significant dates go by. It's like, oh, this is the day I was supposed to go back to the UK. This is the day I was supposed to take that trip to Scotland. This is the day I was supposed to like, you know, end my course in the UK. And so like watching all those dates go by, it was, it was honestly just a bummer, like, um, that my plans don't work out the way they, the way I envisioned. Um, although like, of course I recognize I'm immensely privileged to even be sad about this in a time when people are really suffering. Um, so, you know, please like, (laughs) please take what I'm saying right now with a grain of salt. Uh, I know that I'm immensely privileged, um, just to be healthy uh, and to have my family be healthy right now. Um, but yeah it's so it's basically i've been home for like eight months now maybe yeah like eight months now and um it's the longest i've been home in five years and at first i think i was really worried about the adjustment um i'm a really independent person and i really like living on my own and living independently um and so it was sort of tough to go back to my childhood bedroom (laughs) um and also like because of quarantine not be able to go out and do things so like not only was I stuck in my bedroom I'm stuck in my house um but I'm really fortunate to have a fantastic family I love my parents I love my brother um and so it's been it's been fine um I think everyone kind of gets a little bit (laughs) irritated from time to time you know sometimes you you spend too much time (laughs) with people um but I'm lucky to have a really great family that's made the whole thing pretty bearable um, all that said, I am really, really looking forward to things starting to go back to normal. I, I, you know, I need to move out and get on with my life. Yeah. But for the time being, this has been like a really nice gift. Like I'll, I'll say that the silver lining is that I probably wouldn't have been home for this long ever again in my life if not for COVID. And so it's been really nice to have this kind of um, concentrated time with my parents. I'm sure they appreciate it. As well. Oh, they're definitely happy um, about it. Like they're not even hiding it. They're straight up happy about it. The other silver lining was that um, when I got the my acceptance call for law school, um, I was home. Like I, I had come home like two days prior, and so it was so much more exciting to like be able to run out of my room and tell my parents in person that I'd gotten into law school. Um, and I think it would not have been the same if I'd been calling them from the UK. So that was a really that was a really nice thing. That's so sweet. My heart is all warm and gushy now. Oh 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is really yeah. sweet. Um, uh, so like um, especially the quarantine and also, yeah, I think that's one thing too, right? Just like although like the plans are different, just you said mentioned just like being with your parents and just like really really being with them because you're also working like within the same parameter as well. So you're re- you're really growing those bonds. Like I think a lot of us can say like people who again who are fortunate who are with their parents. Uh, or, or friends or whoever, like you're just growing a stronger bond a lot more now. And it, it's weird, but it's also very like sweet. Like, oh, like you get to learn like new things about them. And although, right, we get on each other's nerves or et cetera, I think it's, it's I think a nice thing to have and so on. That's a weird tangent, but we'll quarantine and everything, uh, especially we're also stuck with people we love, but also sometimes wanna do things that are not very nice, but hey, you know, that's with anybody. Uh, what are some shows that you've been binge watching since quarantine, you know? Since we can't do the stuff that we want to do, but hey, we can vicariously live it through the people on TV shows now. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, we mentioned earlier, I watched The Queen's Gambit recently, which I really, really, really enjoyed. I heard that they're not making a second season, which is such a disappointment to me, but fingers crossed they changed their minds on that one. Um, I really love that show. Oh, um, I don't know about that. Like, I I think I'm someone where, like, it's, it, they keep it so well. I feel like by the second season, they might do things that, like, kind of, like, ruin it in a way, because it's sort of, like, the first season was sort of, like, lightning. It had a strong Yeah, finish. it was, like, lightning in a bottle for me. Like, I thought, personally, I thought it was perfect. I didn't feel like, I thought it already ended. I was like, okay, she got her accomplishment. Uh, you know, she's reflecting. I didn't know, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think about making a second season out of it. I Just the way it ended yeah. and, and so on. I just, oh, but we'd talk yeah. more about it. Yeah, like, it is a, a fantastic show. The way it's shot, the characters, etc. You know, mm-hmm. go, go on. Go splur. I love to talk to someone about it. I got no one to talk about it with, so go for it. I recently binged it. It's great. Um, but yeah, uh, are there any other shows that you've been binging as well? Um, oh, yeah. For weeks, I was binging Gilmore Girls, which, like, uh, I don't know how I yes. felt about that show. Oh my God, that show yes. was <laughs> so frustrating for me to watch. I was just like, why does... It's so nostalgic, though. Yeah, it was nostalgic. And, like, you know, like, I will say, I watched all of it, and there's, like, seven seasons, so clearly you know it wasn't horrible enough that I stopped watching but also every single problem that ever came up in all seven seasons of that show could have been resolved with basic communication skills um and it drove me crazy you know tv (laughs) it was just like you know Lorelai is like a 40 year old with the communication skills of a teenager it's like grow up Um, (laughs) she was the one character who i didn't like in the beginning but she kind of grew on me like later on whereas rory just took a turn for honestly i think that they're all pretty terrible like anytime you think that they've made progress as people they like turn it around and continue to be terrible it's just it doesn't even make sense sometimes like there was this whole oh i don't want to give spoilers to anyone so you know close your ears if you haven't seen Gilmore Girls, but um, you know, Lorelai makes this huge deal out of Rory cheating on her boyfriend and you know, one of the seasons. But then like in the reunion episode, she finds out that Rory is like consistently um, 
you know, in a relationship with a man going from who is engaged to another person. And she's just like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's a bummer. She doesn't say anything about it. It's so weird. just a mess by the revival. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the thing is, I think the reason Lorelai doesn't say anything is because by now, Rory is an adult. Sure, sure, yeah. Whereas back in, like, season like when it first happened she was not so she had the right to like pull the strings on her um, yeah but unfortunately obviously clearly Rory didn't I think, I think for me like the infuriating thing it's, it's it's exactly what you said it's like oh like I thought she learned but clearly she didn't um and then like the secondary extremely frustrating thing about this show is like their problems are all rich people problems and like they're trying to tell us like oh yeah like we're like you know we're solid salt of the earth folk like i run an inn and like my you know my daughter studies all the time but it's like your parents are gazillionaires lorelei and she's always like and her parents are always her fault yeah it's so it's it's such a whack show like if she runs out of money it's just like okay so right check for another But, but you know like the weird thing is and i guess like for me this was just so much like more annoying because I have a good relationship with my parents so maybe I don't have enough sympathy for Lorelai but her parents would be like let us help you financially and Lorelai would be like you don't understand me mom it's like you're 40 years old like say no thank you or say yes but why are you acting like your parents trying to be involved in your life is a crime oh god at that part I didn't like it all and then like she would get jealous when Rory wanted to have a yeah, relationship yeah. with her grandma. and it was just like all the time and I was yeah. like oh this like, is so yeah. and like just some of this stuff was so I petty know. in the beginning I was like why <laughs> I think overall, the, the, the I mean, thing for me watching, especially during quarantine I'm oh, sorry I was gonna say the thing for me was that like it felt like there no, no, wasn't like growth because the problems that they had in season one were the same problems that they had in season seven and it's like you know season two season three you're like ah they're growing as people like their relationships are better they're communicating more and then like you get to season four or five and you're like oh just kidding they're exactly the same and so for me it was a quarantine binge but it is not one that I'm recommending to my friends because it was like so extremely frustrating for me to watch. Oh my god! Thank you. Like no, because I I I feel with you. I resonate with you on that because like I I know like people who love like dramas and rom coms and don't get me wrong, I can go for a couple. But like my issue is like I feel you were you're just sitting there just agitating. Like just solve your problems. Why are you like you said? Why are you making? these many problems for yourself you just talk to each other just talk to each other here's the time there it is why are you doing this to yourself and it's like oh yeah plot okay i'm like that's the writer doing this like i or yeah or like that's the thing too like like there's some things i'm just like why are you doing this affair why are you like like with the crown right like i'm just like why are you doing this affair you you are you are absolutely making a giant mess for yourself i get it there's some things that are out of your capability capabilities but could you at least just think for like a little bit just like just be somewhat knowledgeable no okay all right we're gonna create more problems for ourselves great i'm gonna i can't wait to throw something at my tv great um although with queen's gambit not really um because i would like to actually talk to you more about that because of uh i mean not only having like a strong female character that's like not a mary sue because i was i think that was one thing i feared was for her being a mary sue because i'm like all right here we go all right but she wasn't like she was actually flawed and there was actually 
episodes where she did lose, and I was like, finally, some character growth. That's all I wanted. Thank you. I, I could tear now. I can have a cry. There's a tear in my eye. There's some good writing, because, um, even then, it's, like, also her being in a very heavily male field. I think it's also can be very intimidating as well, especially even now, but also, I think, just intimidating during the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think how they did it was, I think, really well done. Um, but yeah, I also want to hear your thoughts on it. Like, where were some things that you really liked about the show um, or, uh, or cool stuff? Like, oh, did you like the costumes? Did you like the dialogue, uh, the setting, how it was shot? Um, you know, and, and so on. What were, what were some cool things that you're really like impressed or you really enjoyed about Queen's Gambit? Yeah, um, I really, really loved the costumes. I thought that um, they were excellent. I, I really loved seeing um, Beth's transformation from like a child to like a young woman via her clothing when she starts to take ownership of like how she dresses. Um, it's such an important moment in her growth and it's also something I, I don't think I would have ever really focused on someone's clothes that much but it's so important to who she is as a character um, that I really enjoyed that um, I think that the plot is gripping but I, I also think that what's interesting about the show is it's set up in a way where you think like oh the big obstacle is her next chess game like will she win will she lose but at the end of the day it ends up not being about chess like it ends up being about her um because it's never a question of like whether she has the ability to beat Borgov it's a question of whether she can overcome her own addiction and her own um personal issues and like really put it together and have a good game um because like Borgov knows and she knows that she has the ability and it's kind of her letting herself succeed so I really liked um just like thematically the way the show unfolded mm-hmm. okay I also like um like I, I think because I'm, I'm recently getting into like this like cool cool psychology stuff but like um in a way she is a child prodigy so it's also um the struggles of being a child prodigy right where everyone has praised you for this skill and there's a certain point where you know you're kind of like hesitant and you're like Oh, okay, well, there's other people who do the same thing I do, but might be a little bit better than me. And that part's scary. So, um, you know, I never I never think about that. Because I think because, you know, like, it, right, like, we all have privileges. There are some things that we have more than others. But it was just, I used to be this, like, person who was like, why do you have a struggle? Like, you have an advancement. You, you're smarter. It's like, what issues do you really have? Like, you have a lot of opportunities for you. What is the struggle? I think it's more of, like, your bubble is sort of popped, and now you know that you're kind of average, and now you have to face challenges that most of us had to, that we, as we were kids, that we normally had to face, right? Because that's, that's part of life of growing up is overcoming challenges and growing but for some people they're just recently getting it they're just recently kind of touching that we have touched on for like years Mm -hmm. right so it was interesting seeing that character kind of going through that because i'm like huh and who knows maybe other child prodigies can relate to her i don't know yeah (laughs) what did you think amani because we haven't discussed the show and i'm sure you have some thoughts I honestly love the intensity of just, like, between the characters and seeing mm-hmm. her get really good at chess was something I loved watching, especially, like, I'm not someone who was ever really into playing chess, but my mom has always been 
super into chess, so she loved the fact that I was willing to play chess. <laughs> yeah, I would say, like, that is definitely something um, that it makes me realize, like, a show could be so well-written that it'll make you want to try out a new hobby that you wouldn't mm-hmm. do otherwise. Um, and I just look back and I think, like, a lot of, and I know it might sound silly that a show would impact you this much, but... I feel like depending on how well written a show could be, it could have the potential to really No, definitely. I totally agree. They made chess really sexy. Um. But you said that you would like a season two. Why is that? Because I felt that it ended pretty well. Like, I, I don't really think it No, I mean, like, it was pretty- definitely. Mm-hmm. I Okay, let me put it like this. They shouldn't make, I don't think that they should make a season two because it's, oh, you know, no, 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 no. I, I said, I wish there was one. What I, now I'm <laughs> explaining what I mean is that it ended perfectly. I don't think there's more story to be told. I don't think that they could add anything of value. I'm just sad that I don't get to see the characters anymore. Um, so oh, it's like, I true. wish that there was more story left to tell and that they could do it well. Um, I would have, like, I would love a second season, but I just don't, like, I agree with you. I don't think a second season would really add anything to the story at this point, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I definitely don't mind seeing sequels, but a lot of the time, but at least that's when this happens, is that when they do sequels, mm-hmm. it's terribly. <laughs> it was really shitty sequels, and I'm tired of watching, like, those ones I'm just like I really like it when they have a good first season and it continues to be great but definitely I felt like that for Stranger Things like I remember like the first season was so good and by season two I was just like what happened I'm like come on but I'm like that by season three I was like oh yeah 100% it's I think Mm -hmm. I mean don't get me wrong I still love it but I think like I started watching it just more of the, because like my friends were watching and I was like I need to yeah. of course you want to keep up the conversations <laughs> and stuff I think it just when shows get really popular and do well it's they greenlit it brings us to our last one which Aisha if you got to name your episode which is tonight's episode oh um three gals hanging out because that's what this has felt like thank you so much for talking about the fulbright scholarship and getting into law school on tonight's episode and if i'm not mistaken you can follow aisha on instagram at amdurani so that's a-m-d-u-r-r-a-n-i amdurani thank you for joining us for our career episode Thank you for joining us on this career episode. You've been listening to Raise Your Words. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and whatever you're tuning into from. We uh, we are also at Raise Your Words Pod on Instagram. Once again, at Raise Your Words Pod on Instagram. Stay tuned for more. Bye bye. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Mm-hmm.